So we move from uh, Luke to Matthew. You might see, we think, and we're obviously not 100% sure, that uh, Luke got a lot of his information, especially in his first few chapters, from Mary. Uh, that's kind of the tradition. And so Luke's version of the nativity and Jesus coming is kind of through Mary's eyes, and you see Matthew's kind of looking at it through Joseph's eyes. Then uh, we see this here in, in this particular text. So Matthew starts out in his first 17 verses with a lineage telling us that Jesus came from the line of, of David, which becomes important uh, in a lot of ways because there was a covenant through David called the Davidic Covenant, that uh, talked about somebody coming to be a king forever, so that's in the background here. And Matthew's gospel is essentially trying to, it's very Jewish in its uh, presentation, uh, showing us a lot of how the Old Testament is fulfilled in the new covenant through Christ. So Matthew starts, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So not a lot of verses there. Uh, Joseph apparently has a decision to make. And when his mother, Mary, who had been betrothed to Joseph, was found to be with child, and then you get that little phrase, from the Holy Spirit. Well, the problem is that Joseph doesn't know it's from the Holy Spirit. And I would suppose, and, and you've probably thought about that yourself, if you were Joseph, would that be your assumption? It's, oh, yeah, well, this is from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen very often, uh, as far as we know, once. Uh, it's not a big and normal happening. So he has a de decision to make. And I think when we look in the Bible, we all have to make decisions about things, right? Uh, what's the right thing to do for Joseph? He's a a Jewish guy, most likely in uh, Nazareth, uh, betrothed to a young lady, and that can happen a number of different ways, but the families are usually involved. And I don't know if you thought about that when you read this, betrothed, uh, maybe your translation has engaged, betrothed probably a little bit better, because we have engagements today, and what do we say if somebody gets unengaged? They usually break the engagement off, right? Do you have to get divorced if you're engaged in our culture? No. But look at this. Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. It tells us something about what betrothal was back then. Betrothal was a strong commitment that you're going to get married, and if it was a contract between the people and the family. And so if you're going to get unbetrothed, you've got to get divorced. This is much stronger than we think. Uh, the, the marriage has not been consummated, and you can look that word up later if you want, of what that means, which is why Joseph's a little bit puzzled while Mary is pregnant. So he's going to make a decision, and, and when we make decisions, sometimes we take these uh, biblical narratives and try to superimpose this on how we make decisions. Should we expect to go to sleep and have an angel come to us and tell us what our decision should be. Did it look like Joseph was expecting that? I mean, he'd already made a decision, right? Was it a bad decision? You know, was this a, with the information that he had, was this bad? Um, 
you know, he's trying to, there's not a lot of words here. I mean, we get more from the movies that are made off of this than the text itself, but unwilling to put her to shame. That's his goal, it looks like. Um, I remember if, you, if you've seen the Nativity movie, if you haven't, I, you know, you can, I think it's on Netflix or you can probably buy it in a $3.99 Walmart bin if you look hard enough. Um, made back 05, 06, really well done, I thought. Uh, but there's a scene of her, of Mary talking to Joseph and he's, it's essentially this verse 19 kind of played out in quite a few more minutes than, than, than is here. But he, he comes to her and says, you know, I, I chose you, Mary, because I thought you were a woman of great virtue. Well, she's standing there and is pregnant, and so he's questioning that, obviously. But he says, you know, I will take care of it. I will, I will give you this certificate, uh, and there'll be no accusations, and she'll be protected. Um, how, if it worked that way, we don't know, but there had to be some emotions going through his mind. But that's when we make decisions, isn't that? This is called the wisdom model. It's an old Jewish model, and it comes through uh, in, in the New Testament, too. Uh, you make decisions based on what you think God would be honored best at. Um, and God makes us as image bearers to make decisions. We can make decisions on our own. And if, the cool part about this wisdom model is if God wants a different decision to be made, he can always intervene, can't he? Are we supposed to expect that? I don't know. I, I don't think it happens that often. Uh, you you talk to other people. Perhaps he talked to his folks. I don't know. Um, maybe he flipped a coin. Anybody ever done that? You know. Well, if it's a frivolous decision, that's okay. But I wouldn't do that on the marriage thing or the, you know, the uh, what job to take or or what's the other one? Or what school to go to? You know, I wouldn't do the coin thing there. Um, usually, maybe that's probably not the wisest thing. But we see that, right? Remember Acts one. Judas is gone, right? And it looks like they need a 12th. So they get two guys that both had seen the risen Lord, both had all the qualifications of what an apostle should have. And do you remember how they decided? They flipped a coin. Well, they cast lots, uh, which is kind of like flipping a coin. So maybe once in a while, I don't know. Uh, but God always gives us what we need if we're seeking him. And, and, and again, I, I would not read into this that if I really, really, really pray that God will tell me in a dream, how to make the decision. He might tell you, you know, be smart, make it well. Um, but the cool part about the wisdom model is you do the best you can, and if you get more information, then great. And Joseph gets more information. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So we see Joseph's encounters as a little bit different than the other two. Remember, Zachariah is in the temple and Gabriel appears to him. Um, I guess we just call that a, an angelic appearance. And then Mary is somewhere in, in the graphic uh, uh, Bible we have. It, she's in her, in her room uh, in the nativity. I think she's out in the field doing something, working. But Gabriel, another angel appearance. This is a little different. This is in a dream. Anybody dream last night? Anybody remember the dream? Would anybody like to share? You know, we got a mic. <laughs> I mean, 
are most of your dreams real helpful? Um, I suppose if we were in a Bible study and we've done that before, you know, there could be, or a life group, we might talk, have you had a dream in your past? You know, we do have some that, that are uh, uh, sometimes helpful and you maybe feel God is kind of leading you. But that's not, that certainly is the norm for me. I usually wake up from my dream and, you know, what the heck was that? It, 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 the, the, these are the scenery is all screwed up. The people that are in it aren't supposed to be together, and you do weird things, and you don't even know you're doing it. You know, uh, but this he does do this in a dream, right? It, and, and so it's a little bit different. And why I say that is because dreams we can question, right? I mean, you got people out there that say, "Well, come and tell me your dream, and I'll tell you what it means." Well, you can come and tell me your dream, and I'll tell you what it means. I might be wrong, but I can tell you what it means. And we can all come up with something, right? You know, anxiety, pizza, whatever. You know, there's always reasons for it. Uh, you can always come up with interpretations. In the Bible, when there's interpretations that are correct, they're always given from God, right? But what do we get from this? Um, what I would caution you is to think, well, God's going to come to me in a dream to help me make a decision. Is Joseph... Is, is the information that the angel, which is interesting, it's not just a dream with a voice, it's an angel. You know, and is this Gabriel? I mean, you know, they use Gabriel in the, in the graphic Bible there. Um, maybe. It doesn't say it is. Uh, but it's an angel that comes and, and tells him. Does it look like the information to Joseph is ambiguous? Did Joseph wake up and say, I don't know, something about Mary, I don't remember. No, it was the, and that's what you always have to, if God comes in the Bible and talks to someone, the person who gets the message, whether it's a dream, a vision, or just an encounter, there's never any ambiguity on what the information is. You know, Moses didn't go to the burning bush and say, you know, I don't know what's going on. Something, he's saying something, something about Egypt. I'm not going back there, you know. No, I mean, it's very clear, the information, how God wants to do it. Why did he do this as a dream and an angel in a dream and do Mary with an encounter? I don't know. But as we read this, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And you'll see as we go through that he just takes it as, as we say, gospel. No ambiguity. The encounter for him was real. It was pointed. It was clear. It was precise. And he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And if you get that from God, I would go with it. It doesn't, maybe he did, but it doesn't sound like he got up and got a bunch of friends together and said, well, I had this dream, what do you think? Um, I, it doesn't look like he knew this was from God, no ambiguity. So there's, it's probably not just an encounter in a dream, there's a soul thing going on here, a connection that he knows this is real. And that's when God speaks to a person in the Bible, and after the Bible, there's no ambiguity. And, and the, if you ask Joseph, you know, do you have any doubt? And I would, I would almost guarantee you, no. I have no doubt this is what I'm supposed to do. So it's, it's a pretty fun way for God to do it. He's definitely got these angels showing up. Now, we've been talking about angels, and last week we looked at the three named types of angels mentioned in the Bible. You've got the cherubim, which we, we talked about, show up a little bit, but the one we didn't talk about is when Adam and Eve in chapter 3 of Genesis fell, sinned, God drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way, the tree of life. This is an artist's rendition of that. Um, 
These are supposed to be cherubim. They're quite bright, I would say. But this is where we first hear about these beings. Uh, and they show up in other ways, too. And, and I suppose, and that's what I'm kind of having you do here, whether this is in a dream, Mary and her encounter, Zachariah and his encounter, or the encounter we'll have next week with the shepherds, you could see maybe if something like that appeared to you, the fear not might mean the next words. Very bright. You know, maybe Mary had a nightlight, but I'm sure it wasn't that bright. You know, boom. You know, this is, this is an... And then and you have these seraphim, they're only mentioned in Isaiah, and the living creatures in Revelation. That's the three. And I, I found a couple neat pictures. I think this one is really kind of cool. This is supposed to be Isaiah here. But if you remember from that, uh, these these seraphim there they had three sets of wings uh, with two covered their face with two they covered their feet and with the other two they flew and i like this one for another reason is they're really really big i mean just imposing i mean who knows what they look like um and the lightning coming out and all that stuff. But why covering the face? Why covering the feet? This is an Isaiah. They're in the throne room. The covering the face is because of the holiness of God and not being able to see the face of God. The covering the feet is also a way of worshiping. You know, remember, even back to the burning bush, remember what God from the bush tells Moses to do with his shoes. You know, take off your sandals for you are on holy ground. So that, that whole idea of your feet treading on holy ground. And here is, this is actually from Ezekiel. This is some of the living creatures that you see. You can see all these eyes, multiple heads. You got that wheel within a wheel, a rolling um, from Ezekiel. Some really cool uh, renditions of what these were. And again, back to Mary or Zechariah or Joseph. If Gabriel looked like that, the fear not makes sense too, right? Most of the time we get this in the resurrection uh, Appearance accounts, most of the time the angels come and they look kind of like in human form. But these are some interesting angels that we don't really think. Have anybody got a Christmas card with these on them yet? Should we have them that way? I don't know. Uh, it'd be make you think, I guess. It's kind of interesting that way. So that was another thing we have to remember is they're very powerful. And here's a bunch of scriptures. We're just going to look at a couple. They're called mighty ones who do his word. They're called powers, dominions, authorities. And they're greater in might and power than humans. Um, in Second Peter, holy angels, though greater in might and power than humans. <laughs> That's pretty easy, right? <laughs> there you go. If you want a verse that says that, uh, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against the fallen angels before the Lord. They let the Lord do that. And in Matthew 28, I don't know if you remember that. Remember, there's a stone in front of the tomb. And Matthew 28, 2 says the angel rolled this multiple ton stone away, you know, so, which I think the implication is a man could not do this. Uh, so the power of angels are there. And that's why you see in these envision they're always kind of ripped, you know, because they, they can beat other people up. You know, they're, they're very good at that. If you, if you have an opportunity to wrestle an angel, I would go with no. <laughs> Just, you know, white flag, you know, I just go with that, you know. You know what happened when Jacob wrestled with the angel, you know, his hip got put out of joint, and I think guy was, and the angel was just wrestling left-handed there. I mean, he wasn't even putting it all in. Angels use their power to battle against Satan's demonic forces. You see that in Daniel with Michael and the Prince of Persia, Revelation 12 also with Michael, and then at the end of time, 
when uh, Jesus comes and whoops the angels in the battle. doesn't really take very long. So Now, we only have two angels mentioned in the Bible by name. Uh, we have Michael, who we've talked about, and Gabriel, who we've talked about the last two weeks. But if you go to the ancient Hebrew apocalyptic book of Enoch, there's five more. And you'll see these float into movies once in a while. Um, you guys remember the, the uh, movie uh, Noah came out a few years back with Russell Crowe? Um, did you like that movie? I mean, it was different, wasn't it? Um, if you, how many people saw it? Some. Do you know that was patterned after the book of Enoch? It wasn't supposed to be biblical, and it wasn't. Um, but uh, the book of Enoch's an interesting read. We read it in seminary. It, it gives you some his history. We, we find this in the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's why we know it so well. But you've got five more holy angels uh, mentioned in that. Raphael, and you'll see these get in uh, a couple different places in culture. You'll see this in uh, Renaissance art. You'll see these come up. And then you see the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have some of these. Uh, and I'm just kidding. Raphael is one of them, though, I think, right? Uh, Uriel, Raquel, Remiel, and Saraquel. You know, so there's, there's the other few. You know. And do what you want. If an angel appears to you and says they're one of these names, I guess you're going to have to figure out where the Book of Enoch is telling us what we need to know. Um, it also appears that angels have a hierarchy because Michael's called an archangel. Arch is the word for head or chief so he's a chief angel, uh, so it indicates maybe he has some authority over other angels. Um, and it appears he leads the angelic army in Revelation 12, so he's kind of a leader. We don't know if there's other archangels. Um, you can get all kinds of books about this. Um, some of them are actually useful. Uh, where you have to be careful is going farther than the text allows. Uh, I don't know. Does it matter if angels have hierarchy? probably to them. Uh, I don't know if it matters to us or not. Um, we don't know when angels were created. Uh, we have guesses. Uh, Genesis 2 tells us that the angels were made at some point before the seventh day of creation because the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host, which is another word for heavenly beings. So we can kind of piece it together. You know, the, the, the way we look at it, orthodox, is that there was a time that the angels all had an opportunity to either follow Yahweh or rebel, and some rebelled approximately a third with the leader Satan, um, and two-thirds did not. Um, next week we'll maybe look into a little bit uh, uh, ab about that uh, and the angels, but and we also don't know how many angels exist. Um, we got some guesses, uh, but apparently there's a bunch of them. In Deuteronomy 33, it talks about ten thousands. Hebrews talks about innumerable number. And then this verse from Revelation, Then I looked again, and I heard the voice of thousands and millions of angels around the thrones of the living beings and the elders. That's a lot. Thousands of millions, you know. Now we're getting to a bunch of angels uh, out there. So... How that all works in the background, uh, we don't aren't really given all that information, but we see what they can do. They carry out God's plans. That's what they're really there for. Um, they, they are messengers. That's what Gabriel is. In fact, if you remember from the first week, the word angelos, which we get the word angel, is the word messenger. Uh, so God carries out some of his things with angels. Why does he use angels sometimes and not other times not? I don't know. 
but it is kind of cool when they show up, especially during these nativity scenes. They're out there to, for punishment sometimes. Well, we already had one of those, you, right? We already had a punishment that an angel gave out. You remember what that was? Zechariah. Yeah. He got shut up for nine months, right? That was a punishment that the angel either inflicted on him himself or was doing what God wanted there. They're there for surveillance. They, 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 they go to war. We see that both in the Old Testament and certainly in Revelation and the New Testament, warring against uh, the forces of evil um, and, and how all that works. And then they're guardians, protectors of people. We see that in a lot of places. That's what they're there for. Um, and we, I wonder sometimes, you know, I don't know if you think about these things. And Fortunately or unfortunately, I do. You ever think about that maybe when you die, that you'll get some information about how many times you were protected by God and you didn't know it? I mean, how many times does that happen? You, you, you know, I think we had this last week too, but you pray for protection for each other, right? I mean, you got your family going on the plane or, you're, or you've got, you know, a relative going in the military or whatever it is. I mean, we pray for, you know, safety and protection and, you know, I don't know, probably not, I don't have to pray, well, God, send your angels, God will do what he wants to. Uh, but we know prayer matters, and if maybe God uses those in ways we uh, don't know how God protects. I, I gave you a, a story, uh, uh, account last about a truck going down a hill. If you want to go, if you didn't hear that, you can get on the our website and listen to it or the podcast. But um, Another one that I remember was uh, about a missionary family in the middle of Africa that was, you know, what you do in those tribal is you try to get to the chief uh, and get him to understand the gospel, and then he'll allow you to talk to the rest of the people. Well, this family, two little kids and a and, uh, man and wife who had come to that and were sort of accepted. They had a little hut, and they were trying to tell the gospel, but somehow the man upset and said something that was disrespectful without knowing it to the chief to the point where they were really fearing for their life, and they were sitting in their hut praying that God would protect them. But even if he won't, that the gospel would somehow get to these people. And as they're praying, the, the people from the tribe come with their spears and their swords coming, it looks like, to put an end to them, and they continue to pray. And they pray, and they pray, and as they look out, uh, all of a sudden, all of these, these tribesmen run away. And then they eventually go to sleep, they wake up in the morning, and then here comes the chief, and a bunch of his elders are coming and, and bowing down to the family. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. And they said, well, why, what happened? You know, why did you, you were coming to kill us. Why did you not? And they said, we were afraid of the flaming ones. That in there, God had sent, in this, these missionaries' account, angels to show themselves and protect the people and uh, make a somewhat long story short, the, the, they started believing in the gospel because of that. So is that something we expect? The thing that's interesting is guess who didn't see the angels? Yeah, the, the couple didn't see them. The, the, the kids didn't see them. But the, who needed to see them saw them. 
And if God, maybe God does that in ways uh, we don't know. I, those are interesting uh, accounts, and why not believe them? Because they're certainly very uh, biblical, I think. So angels are not to be worshipped. Um, that's when they bow down to the missionaries. It's like, get up. Uh, John says, I fell down at the feet to worship the angel, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So, I guess this is a way to test if you come upon one and they want you to worship him. It's probably not from God, right? Um, anybody, whether it's an angel or a person, uh, they're not to be worshiped. Um, and angels submit to Jesus. You know, Jesus here, angels here. I guess we're down here. Some of us here. I don't know how that works. You know. <laughs> Some of us here, it depends on where we are, I guess. But we're all lower. We already had that last week that angels are a higher created being than humans. But Philippians 2, you probably know this, is kind of the Christ hymn. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, hmm, might include angels there. On earth, under the earth. Kind of a metaphor for the fallen angels. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's a really cool verse, isn't it? Very poetic. But think about that. It's uh, C.S. Lewis said it this way. At the end of time, every being that, that has a choice to follow Christ or not will either bow down to him in humble submission and say to Jesus, your will be done. You know, and God will say to everybody else as they bow down, your will be done. Do you want his will or your will? You know, we're supposed to go with his. Uh, everybody will bow down, it's whether it's as a servant of the Holy One or as one who will be punished before because of the rejection of the Holy One. And then in 1 Peter 3, pretty overt, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Uh, we see that once in a while in the gospel account that angels come and minister to Jesus. That happens right after his temptation. Uh, they're there to even help him. So now you know a little bit more about that. Let's get back into our account here. So he's been told that Mary is pregnant and conceived in her womb from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So this information he gets, uh, he's a lot of good information here. But have you ever thought about, and the, and the movies kind of deal with, could you imagine having the responsibility of parenting the Messiah? I mean, because we, we, that's one of the orthodox things. I mean, it, the Bible says that Jesus never sinned. I mean, you never had to stand this kid in the corner. <laughs> that's kind of good, right? But it'd have to be tough, uh, I mean, you, I could think Joseph thinking, him, is there anything I could ever teach him, you know? But yet he's a baby and he grows and it's something to think about. And we don't have those texts. All we have in Luke is that one little encounter in the Jerusalem in the temple when Jesus is discussing things with uh, the 
Sanhedrin folks and the scribes and the Pharisees about. That's all we have. We have nothing else. And in, in history, little infancy narratives of Jesus cropped up in the third and fourth century, and they're out there. Uh, they certainly like the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, I think it's kind of cool. Jesus makes a clay bird and then touches and turns into a real bird. I mean, it may be good for birthday parties and stuff, right? I mean, it'd be kind of fun. It's like, yeah, but, uh, you know, those don't really sound like, they, and we know they weren't, Thomas would have been dead for 300 years when that was written, so. But that's out there. But we, you know, it is something to think about. What was the responsibility they had? Because if the, the text seems to show us that there wasn't, this is like an angel showed up every morning and told us, well, here's, the, here's your schedule for Jesus today. You know, they had to raise him like other children, but it had to be kind of tough. It's a, in one way, what a privilege, but in another way, what a responsibility. Um, and uh, we're, we're assuming they did a pretty good job, so he turned out pretty good, don't you think? Yeah. Now, the name Jesus chosen by God for his son was in that day and for centuries a very common name. In fact, we see it in Hispanic culture a lot. Uh, usually the J sound doesn't come through, so it's the H sound. Uh, but, and the J sound isn't in Greek either. It's Jesus, if you want to pronounce it. But Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. Because you read this verse, and if you don't know that, it doesn't really make as much sense, right? You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Well, if you don't know what Jesus means, it's like, because? What do you mean because, you know? That's the idea. If you read it, if they're, they're hearing, you will call his name Yahweh is salvation. Because you will, he will save his people from his sins. And that becomes that for us. That's, it's easy if you look at it from that culture. Uh, so, but yet the name of Jesus was common. There's only one child that qualified as the God-man to save people from their sins. Not every Jesus running around then or now is doing this. It's, it's the unique Jesus. Um, and then we get Matthew quickly supporting the doctrine of the virgin birth. Um, this is one we do go to the mat for. It's so overt, both in Luke and Matthew. Have you had people say that? Well, how, you know, how would you believe that? You know. Well, it doesn't happen very often, right? But it's kind of back to the same thing. Could, th does the God of all creation have the power to do this? If you want a real big rabbit trail, and you can get into this, I don't know if it's in the questions, but you can get into this in your life groups if you want. Was it, you know, the Joseph's part was not supplied, right? That came from the Holy Spirit, however that worked. Was it Mary's egg, or was it just drop the whole thing in there? I'll let you have fun with that one. You can, you can text me your answer if you want. How's that? Uh, but the idea that this was from God uh, is the idea that, that we want to get. It's, it's not ambiguous. This is a virgin birth. It's not a metaphor. Uh, God can do this, and he did that. And it does give us uh, uh, the fact that Jesus is fully God, truly God, truly man, really human, all the way back to living in his mother's womb for nine months. Just kind of came to me. I'm sorry this happens, but... Uh, what do you think Jesus was thinking in utero? I'd really like to get a text about that one if you got, if you got to come up. I have no idea. Um, well, what did you think back then? Show of hands. 
nothing. Come on, somebody's got to be thinking something. You know, we don't remember that, do we? Um, interesting. Maybe Jesus didn't either, I guess. I'll just wait for the text, and then you guys will tell me. Yeah. He goes back to that, and we already talked about that in November where we hit that Isaiah 7 really hard. You know, he goes back to Isaiah, originally written uh, to talk about God being with them, but Matthew-inspired revelation fills the original statement out to its full intention. This was kind of a shadowy type back that God was with them in a sense that you're not going to get destroyed by the Syrians at this point. I'm with you. This is different. God is never more clearly present with his people as he is through the virgin-born son, the Messiah. This is, this is the difference, right? This is what they've been waiting for for millennia, the Jewish people. Uh, and this is always what we point back to. You know, God can be with you in a lot of ways, but what's the main way he's with you now? The, the Holy Spirit that points us to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Christ, as Paul puts it. So when Joseph was approached by God through the angel, you notice he gets the information, he believes the information. I think God knew what he was doing when he picked Joseph. He picked this family, and he accepted his role and did precisely as he was instructed by God. Um, that didn't mean, as you read the, the account further, that he didn't have to make some wise decisions going forward. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, on Christmas Eve about, you know, going down to, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, why they did that, what the timing might have looked like, and maybe a little bit what they're thinking. You can get in a little trouble if you try to think about what somebody was thinking here. And he kept Mary a virgin until after Jesus was born. Uh, I'll read verse 24 and 25 again. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Knew her not. That's the old uh, biblical way um, in Genesis. Adam knew Eve, and she bore Cain. That's what the new word is. Just to kind of give you a little bit of uh, linguistic context here. The word for no in Hebrew is yada. Uh, so I'll let you figure out when somebody says yada, 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 <laughs> what that originally meant. It might not mean that now, but that's what it meant then, you know. Yeah, you know, they had a good night on their honeymoon and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> let you go with that. But that's, that's what this is saying, and I know there's different traditions here, but it seems to me the most consistent biblical tradition is that eventually they, they had these half-brothers, and I say half-brother, Mary and Joseph's kids, but you got that whole Holy Spirit thing coming in there, which makes it a kind of a half. And you see this in Mark 6. Uh, is the, he's in Nazareth. They're not figuring out who he is. He's preaching some cool stuff, but is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us. And unfortunately, they took offense at him because he was saying he was the Messiah. But uh, so he has, it looks like, four brothers and at least two sisters, right? Because if I understand plural right, it can't be one. And two of these, we, we've, two of the brothers we, we get to meet in the Bible. Uh, James becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church, writes the book of James. 
And Judas, we, the book's usually shortened to Jude, but that's another uh, brother of Jesus. Uh, so eventually they come and become a family, and I'm not going to go down the rabbit trail of what it must have been like to grow up with your brother as Jesus. Oh, yeah, you got a 99. Jesus got a 100. I don't know. Would it work that way? I don't know. I, you know, why don't we just assume it was good? Uh, but even in, in John, it does, there, his brothers didn't really believe in him until after the resurrection. So another encounter with angels. And next week, we'll look at our fourth one. Let's sum that up. When uh, an angel comes to a bunch of shepherds outside a little town of Bethlehem. Let us pray. Father, as we look into this text, uh, probably not too hard for any of us to kind of crawl into the mind of Joseph and try to figure out what we would have done given the information. But uh, we say all along in this church and in our lives and from your word that you give us what we need. And in that case, you gave Matthew what he needed uh, for each one here, wherever they are in their faith. May you give them uh, the trust to know that uh, as they make decisions and they go through this Christmas season that you will give them what they need.